Yo, what is poppin'? Welcome to the Uncensored Christian Podcast. We are gonna be back in Samuel today. Y'all thought I was gonna hop to something else. No, 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 no. We back in the book of Samuel today. But before we get it kicked off and before we get some just good knowledge, I want y'all to go ahead, grab yourself a cup of eggnog, get ready and relax. And yes, I said eggnog, okay? I don't understand some of y'all heathens out there that think that eggnog is nasty. It couldn't be me. But get yourself something nice like hot cocoa or something. Get ready to sit back and relax. And before we hop into this, share this with your friends and family. Because the word of God is not supposed to just be kept to ourselves. We're supposed to share it and spread it whenever possible. So go ahead and do that. And real quick, if y'all want to support this ministry, your support really does help the production and getting this message and podcast out to people literally all around the world. We have people listening to the podcast in over 20 countries. It is absolutely insane what God is doing, but we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 8 today, all right? And here's something cool about the book of Samuel that y'all might not have known is there's a 1 Samuel and a 2 Samuel, right? If you open up your Bible, you'll see that there's 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, but the book of Samuel actually was just one book. And I guess they just thought it was easier to separate it into two different parts so we can kind of have like two separate narratives going. But yeah, that's a cool little fact. But here's a here's the theme for the entire book of Samuel, both one and two. Um, this is an interesting theme is this idea that no man can be a perfect leader or king. You, you see multiple examples of this throughout the books of Samuel. You have Eli like in the very First chapters of First Samuel, you have Eli, who's supposed to be this upstanding ruler in the temple, and he falls short. He has sons who act crazy, and he falls short. And we even have Samuel, the one that God appointed as a judge, and Samuel's been doing some great things, but even in a moment, we'll see that even Samuel falls short to what he could be. And then you have Saul. We all know what Saul did. That dude messed up. And then even David The man after God's own heart even screws up near the end. And they all showed failure to live up to the perfection that only God holds. And this this idea, this theme is going to be so important for the passage that we are about to read. We in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we're going to read through the whole chapter because, man, it is good. I'm telling you it's good. All right, uh, first verse. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. When I see this, it it, kind of makes me laugh because we're seeing almost like a, a comparison between how Samuel's two sons obviously are below par, like, like morally they are not good. And they're doing things that are clearly wrong, right? Like, they're judges who are accepting bribes and perverting justice. So, th- so they're doing things that are just completely immoral and evil. And this kind of calls back to Eli's sons, which we talked about in our last scripture study in 1 Samuel 3, where Eli's sons were going and stealing the sacrifices that people were trying to make so they could be right with God. They were stealing them and they were um, just, just using it for money. And it was just completely cruel and unethical and evil. 
And so here we're seeing that same comparison. Here you have a ruler who the 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 man themselves is good with God. Like they're doing the things that they're supposed to do, but now they have these sons who are just completely immoral and wrong and they don't punish them. Because here Samuel um, promotes his sons to be judges, to have this high um, authority and power the same way that Eli did. He would not punish his sons. And this is an interesting theme about the children of highly respected men, the the children who have highly respected and good fathers being sinful. And honestly, my, my first reaction when I'm reading this, when I'm reading about Samuel and Eli having kids that are just wilding out and being crazy, my first reaction is like, Whip they behind, bro. Like, I'm thinking, dude, like, sit them over your leg and bring the belt to their booty. Like, <laughs> that's how I got disciplined when I was growing up. That was the worst thing. When my dad would come home and I knew I did something bad and I knew he was about to get the belt or, like, my mom would get a wooden spoon. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, why don't you discipline your kids? Give them what they deserve. But when I, when I go to judge them, I quickly get reminded that we have a highly respected father and he does not give us what we deserve when we sin and do evil. Mm. I, I mean, in this moment, I, want, I look at this and I say, why don't you judge your children for what they have done? Give them what they deserve. But then God says, Dante, how many times have I forgiven you and not giving you what you deserve. I mean, look at what God did with, with the Israelites. Time and time again, they would question him. They would sin against him. They would worship idols and do all these sorts of sacrifices, things that they knew they should not have been doing. And time and time again, God would give them grace and be patient with them and not give them what they deserve. But this also paints a picture that that humans in general, but even the leaders that we appoint can have wicked sides to them. Like, obviously, these are leaders that were appointed by God. And, and since they were human, they had flaws. But this shows that even the people who are supposed to be the ones that do right by their people are not perfect. And so this gives us a, a just stark picture that no man no man at all, no matter how good they have been in God's eyes, they cannot be as perfect and just as God is. And even with Samuel being how great he is, failed to properly judge his sons. This is important for us to remember uh, for the verses ahead that no man can be perfect and as just as God himself. On to verse four. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are old now and your sons are not like you. They wilding out, Samuel. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. This is actually a direct callback to Deuteronomy 17. In verse 14, check this out. This is what God is saying to the Israelites. You are about to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. If this happens, be sure to select a king, the man the Lord your God chooses. Notice that 
He said, choose the king that God chooses, not what they choose, but we'll keep on. You must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. So they're, they're speaking, I mean, almost directly from what God told them that they were going to speak from that. At some point, they're going to go into this land and they're going to want a king to rule over them like the other nations have. And God is saying, okay, you can have the king, but it's going to be a king that I choose. Trust me, you want God's wisdom on this choice. So look what happens in verse six. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. God's like, yo, I need, look, dog, if this is what they want, I mean, they have free will. I'm going to give them what they want, but remind them something that they are rejecting me. God, like Yahweh, like, like God almighty, they're rejecting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for something that's going to be lesser. And this is why they are foolish, right? Because you just heard in Deuteronomy 17, God said, yeah, you're going to ask for a King. And then, you know, when you ask for a King, it'll be someone that I choose, but here's where they're foolish is that they're asking for a king when they have God. <laughs> like, like they're asking for something lesser when they already have someone greater who wants to rule over them. The first thing I can think about is like downgrading your phone because you think it's going to be better, but you're getting less. My wife did, y'all, can I tell you a story? My wife did this with her iPhone. I kid you not. My wife had an iPhone 11 back when they were brand new, right? Brand new phone. We got a great deal with Verizon, by the way. And all of a sudden, about eight months later, she was like, you know, Dante, I really just want to upgrade my phone to get an iPhone SE. And if y'all know anything about phones, an iPhone SE is not as good as an iPhone 11, but that is what her heart was content on. She was wanting to downgrade her phone. To her, it was an upgrade, but in all reality, she was downgrading to something lesser and she was thinking that she was going to get more. And this is what it makes me wonder. What have you been trying to replace God with that only God can do? I asked this seriously, seriously, I asked this seriously. They wanted a symbol of power, right? They wanted a symbol of power, which would be a king when they already had an all-powerful God. They wanted something that the other nations had when they had something that set them apart. And so I asked this question, what have you been trying to replace God with that only God can do? I wonder, like, have you been replacing God's love with chasing after other people to get physical love, hoping that it will bring you the love that only God can give? Like, 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 have you been throwing away God's wisdom? And so you start going to your friend who never had a successful relationship to give you advice on what you should do with your failing marriage, hoping that they will give you some sort of wisdom that only God can give. Here's the problem is that if we're not careful, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are upgrading from God when we trade him in for something that will inevitably leave us empty. And this is why the Israelites were foolish, because they already had the best model of iPhone that you could ever possibly have, and they were wanting to trade it in 
for something that was not going to be as powerful, that was not going to be able to protect them and love them and be just and perfect. They were wanting to trade in God for what they thought was going to be better. They were downgrading. On to verse 10. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. Now, let's just focus on what he's about to say. Samuel is about to let them know, yo, you want a king? This is what a king is going to look like to you, all right? So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. So <laughs> already he's like, yeah, he going to take your sons. He going to put them in the front line so they can be the first one to get killed when you're going into battle. So that's cool. Uh, some, some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. Now listen to the next four verses that we're about to read. And I want you to listen to every time that the king is going to take. So listen for the word take, and we'll talk about it later. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your own male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. Now, this is really cool because the Hebrew word for take here, the one that we just read through, is uh, lakak. And it, this word can literally be used to take or receive, like in the literal sense that we would understand it. But in this context, when it's talking about an overarching king, this word is actually meaning take for oneself. So it has a stronger meaning where you are taking, not necessarily to distribute it to other people, but you're taking for your own personal gain. So let's look back at this. So the king will take for his own personal gain your daughters from you. He will take for his own personal gain away the best of your fields and vineyards. He will take for his own personal gain a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest. He will take for his own personal gain your male and female slaves and, and demand the finest of your cattles and donkeys for his own use. And this is what Samuel's trying to get these people to see. He's trying to contrast what their requested king will do and what God has already done. Because here you have a king who is taking, 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 taking for himself. He doesn't care about the people. Like his people is not his concern. What he's concerned about is getting things for himself. And he's wanting to contrast this with what God has already brought. Time and time again, instead of God taking from his people, he gave to his people. He led them out of Egypt. Time and time again, God was giving them forgiveness and love and mercy and peace. And he's trying to let, get them to see if you get this king that you're, that you say you want, all he's going to do is take and take, and it's not going to be fun. So let's go on to verse 17. He will demand a 10th of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding but then the Lord will not help you. Oddly enough, th this type of harsh rule that Samuel is painting a picture of, it, it points back to how they would have been treated as slaves in Egypt. 
Like the very thing that they wanted to to be rescued from, being slaves in an oppressive Egypt where the the pharaoh was killing their firstborn kids. Like like they wanted to escape this and he's painting the picture saying, "Look, if you ask for a king on your own terms and not when God is ready to give you one, it's going to almost be like you're living in Egypt. It's just going to be a system where they take and they take and they take and you will end up being the king's slaves. I mean, look what it says in verse 17. He will demand a tenth of your, your flocks and you will be his slaves. You will literally be in the same position that you were in before God delivered you from Egypt. And you want to go back to that? But hey, look what they said in verse 19. This, this is going to be wild. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. Mm, these people stupid. <laughs> we want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. This right here is such a slap in the face to God. It is such a slap in the face to God. They don't want to be who God called them to be who God chose them to be. I mean, in verse 20, they just said, we want to be like the nations around us. We don't want to be like who God called us to be. We we don't want to be like the people that God delivered with his own mighty hand. We don't want to be God's people. We want to be like the nations around us. That is such a slap in the face to God. And then on top of it, they claim that when they have a king, that king will be able to judge them and lead them into battle. Can I just show y'all how, how foolish this is, right? Th- this is this is the short-term memory that we can sometimes have when it comes to what God does for us. And I'm not just saying it's them because it's we, we do this all the time. This is chapter eight that we read, right? Let's just flip back one chapter, <laughs> just, just one chapter with the events that happened right before this. And We'll see if their claims of wanting a king that will finally be able to judge them and lead them in the battle is a valid claims. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to be reading through verses 3 and 4, verse 7, verse 10, and then 15 and 16, because it's a long chapter and I don't want to take up that much time. So we'll just go through these verses. So they're about to get attacked by the Philistines, and this is what happens. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods in your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshipped only the Lord. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had had gathered at Mishpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. And just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day. And the Philistines were thrown into such confusion and the Israelites defeated them. And then Samuel continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. Each year he traveled around setting up his court first at Bethel, then at Gilgal, and then at Mishpah. He judged the people of Israel at each of these places. So what just happened here? In this battle that happened with the Philistines. What just happened? Not only did they have a judge already in place named Samuel, right? Because they they were saying, we want a king who can judge us. They have a judge. And then not only that, they have a king named Yahweh, named God Almighty, that literally just helped them win their battle against the Philistines. 
But here in chapter 8, verse 20, they're saying, we want a king that can judge us and lead us into battle. Samuel was their judge, and God did lead them and deliver them into battle, but they missed it. I think the problem is that sometimes we can have a short-term memory loss when it comes to the blessings that God gives us. Sometimes we can forget how God helped us pay our bills last month or how God restored a broken relationship last year or the way that God gave us peace in a hard time. And we'll forget that in this moment and in this time, we still have the same God with the same love for us in the same ability to deliver us from the pains and the sufferings that he's already delivered us from in the past. And this is what the Israelites are failing to remember. That literally just in the last chapter, not that long ago, they already have a judge and they already have a God who was their king and their ruler that led them and delivered them from battle. But look what happened in verse 21. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. You know, it... The problem here is it's not that God didn't want them to have a king. It's very easy to look at this this passage um, and, and say, oh, it's just that God didn't want them to have a king. That's not the case. I mean, there's multiple times in Genesis when God was talking to Abraham saying that his descendants would be kings. And, and then he even said, like we read in Deuteronomy 17, that they're going to get to a point where they say, hey, we should select a king like the other nations have. And then God said, okay, be sure to select a king. That the man, the Lord, your God chooses. So the problem is, is, it's not that God didn't want them to have a king. The problem is, is that they chose a king on their own terms and for their own evil motives. And that was the fact that they didn't believe that God could be their king. Even though God already brought them a victory in countless battles and he delivered them from countless evil, and he protected them in the wilderness, they still did not believe that God was a better king than all these faulty rulers like the nations had around them. Hmm. You know that there are some, there are some things that God wants to give you. There's so many good things that God wants to give you in your lifetime, that God wants to bless you with, that God wants to deliver you into. But what we have to remember is that it's the timing of God's gift that makes the difference. If we try and take what God wants for us into our own hands and do it our own way for our own selfish motives, all it's going to do is bring about pain and destruction in our lives. But when we allow ourselves to trust God, trust that what God has planned for us is good in his own timing and when he's ready, when we do that, then when God gives us the gift that he wants to give, it will be good because it will be ready to give at that moment in time. Hey, I hope y'all enjoyed this scripture study. I cannot wait to see y'all in the next episode. If you enjoyed this message, once again, share it with your friends and family and just pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to those that hear this message. Thank y'all so much. I will catch y'all next week. Peace out.